0: Alright, so this is an episode I did with Ivan Robinson Now, Ivan was a boxer that I saw compete on HBO's Boxing After Dark Against uh, Arturo Gotti, which I believe was in 1997 um, I was already in the military and uh, I think I may have watched the fight uh, on Oahu uh, I think maybe in, in the barracks or something perhaps Or that my dad sent me the fight <clears throat> on VHS, I, f- I forget but uh it ended up being ring magazine's fight of the year it was a legendary fight um i remember a lot of people borrowing the fight from me because I had it on tape and uh you know as i had said in the previous episode uh when you start doing podcasting and stuff to have the opportunity to talk to some of these people that you grew up watching is pretty incredible and uh i had that opportunity to uh, you know i looked up ivan on instagram i had seen he had done some uh interviews with other people and uh he talked with me for over an hour and uh was just awesome experience to talk about this fight that i've probably watched uh i don't know probably close to 100 times i would think so uh we talked a lot about uh you know his fight with archer ogadi his training with uh pernell Whitaker, and uh just his, his career in general and uh so this is a great experience for me and uh for anyone who's a fan of boxing uh this is the interview with Ivan Robinson. Check it out. There you right. go. Okay, we got it now. <laughs> appreciate it, man. I really appreciate
1: you taking time to do this. Oh, man, that's no problem. No problem at all. I just got it from the gym.
0: Okay, so I'm, I'm here with Ivan Robinson for everyone watching. And kind of one of the first things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, you had a high-volume style, and I was always wondering, like, Is that something you developed, or did your coach tell you to to box that way? I mean, how did it kind of come about?
1: Uh, I I guess that's just the high-intensity level I used to train. My dad trained me, and that's the way we used to work.
0: Because not a lot of guys do that. So was it more in your head to do it, or was he telling you maybe throw 100 punches or whatever it was he used to do, you know?
1: No, he just used to work on me like that, work with me like that. We always do volume punches um, of combinations. Um, I guess as I got, well, you know, when you're a kid, when you like, because I started young, I started at five. Um, Actually, I really can't think back that far, but I'm thinking like when I probably was like five or six, you know how we are. We little kids in the gym, sparring with little kids our age. We just throwing punches just to be throwing punches. And um, as time went on and I got older, I just always used to just throw c- punches in combinations. That's how my dad had me, six, eight punch combinations. Then as I got older, I got settled with my feet and my legs where it balanced me off to step around and, uh, you know, do different things.
0: Yeah, because there were some guys like that, you, Wayne McCullough, you know, Philip Holliday, who you fought through a lot of, but a lot of guys don't do that. So why do you think you were able to do it? I mean, even today you don't see guys doing that very much.
1: Yeah, and I think that a lot of coaches, like, well, in my gym, um, you know, coaches like Bose, uh, throwback coaches that are still around, still try to emulate to have their fighters throw punches in combinations. But you know how it is nowadays. Guys just want to hit guys with one big shot. And think they can get rid of him. Sometimes you can, but it's not. That's like if you. That's like for instance, if you if you hit a kid with a left hook and you hurt him and you know you hurt him. What you gonna hit him with the left hook and see if he fall? No, I'm gonna try to end it. I'm gonna try to hit, end it with a left hook, a right hand, a uppercut, and then I'm gonna try to step around him and finish it. No, guys, hitting with one left hook and thinking the night is over. It's not like that. Yeah,
0: so you know when i first saw you obviously was the first god you fight and okay. i saw you know him kind of like the banger versus you just throwing a lot of a lot of shots you know and uh when you're fighting that way is did you have like some crazy stamina that allowed you to do that or you well, know because going know- back to what i'm saying not a lot of guys do it you had to have you know a lot of wind to do that right
1: right well i think what it was that I know like in a lot of fighters that I train now and even some that, that I don't train that I do see, um, their conditioning is poor. You know, I have, uh, like for instance, I have a guy now, he tells me he runs six or seven miles a day. All right. If you run six or seven miles a day, there's no reason why after a four round sparring session in the gym, you talking about you don't want to go no more. You tired. I, I mean, that don't even accumulate to the things that you're telling me. That doesn't even make sense. If you're doing six, eight miles a day and you can't do a four rounder in the gym, something wrong. How many miles were you running? I was on, and believe it or not, I know you're going to say it's crazy, I was only running five miles.
0: So it's just, was. do you think it was the rounds
1: you were doing? or a,
0: No, what I, just were think, you doing?
1: I was just I think I was just, I don't know, I was just different. I trained hard. I worked hard. Um, Even in the gym, I don't want, well, you can say that. The way that I trained in the gym was the way that I fought. Um, Nothing changed about me. Nothing was no different. The only thing that I say that I wish that I would have had that I think would have really helped me is that I would have had a little more power. I mean, I had 40... I think it was 46 professional fights and like 80-something amateur fights. So I've been fighting for a long time. Um, And I think my um, defense was pretty good. Um, I was a kid that didn't like to get hit. As you can see, I did a lot of – I gave a lot of angles. I punched in combinations. My defense was pretty good. That's why I think I I lasted so long. It's just except for – the later years in my career, I took fights that I shouldn't have took because of money situations that I really didn't have to take. But I was the type of kid that, and fighter, and adult, that I felt as though anybody that I got in there with, they had two hands, they had two feet just like I had. And it was an even match. Even if a kid or, or a guy that I fought had 25 or 30 knockouts, it didn't matter. I still felt as though that I was able to be in the ring with them.
0: Now, I know they had mentioned in the lead-up to the fight that you you and Gotti have both trained at, like, Pernell Whitaker's training camp, you know. Right, we did. So, you know, with your style, you know, a lot of punches. Obviously, it's hard to hit Pernell. Does that kind of fall out of whack when you're, you know, as far as your style no. goes?
1: No, because um, Pernell was very uh, technical. Pernell was a Pernell was a technician. He was the guy that brought all his tools to work. And you couldn't hit Pernell with a lot of shots. You may, like, for instance, if I hit Purnell with a, a left hook on the inside, you can best believe I never hit Purnell with that shot again. Because Pernell never put himself in a position to get hit like that again. He was very slick. He counterpunched real well. And he was a great boxer. Um, and he was a magician. You could, I mean, he was there, but then again, he wasn't there when he, when you thought he was in front of you, and you released. And I, you know, I threw volume of punches. I couldn't hit Pernell. I mean, the first two days that I sparred Purnell, when I first went to camp with him, I went to the first camp when he, when he was getting ready to fight Oscar De La Hoya, and that was the first time ever. And at that time, I think I was in my early, well, mid 20s. I would think I was like 24, 25 and I know I was I know I was good, but I couldn't really land a punch on Pernell. That's when I knew I was really in the big league. I couldn't hit Pernell and just just what it was and poor I, I don't want to say poor or turtle but yeah, poor turtle because Sweepy just had his way with Gann. Yeah,
0: and I mean, because you like to throw many punches, when you're sparring Pernell, you can't hit him as much. Does it make you revert to just like throwing one shot at a time?
1: No, I I just, I just wasn't accustomed to doing that. I just wasn't accustomed to throwing one shot. I just wasn't. I wasn't accustomed to throwing a lot of shots. And with that being said, with not being able to hit Pernell, Pernell always kept me on my toes. Pernell always kept me thinking because it was like, yo, should I throw this jab at Pernell, or should I fake and throw a right hand and a left hook, or if I did throw it, would I hit him and he counter me? You know, Pernell always had you thinking, like, you always had to be a step a step in front of Pernell, which he was always a step in front of you. It was like when you was thinking about doing something, Pernell already knew what you was getting ready to do.
0: So how did it affect you going in the fight with both of you being in that camp? What did you take away from well, Gotti, because I, you guys didn't spar, right? You and Gotti.
1: Yeah, we, we actually we never sparred, and I never really paid no attention to Purnell when he sparred or Toro, except for when I first got there, the first camp, when he was getting ready for De La Hoya. Um, I think they sparred. They sparred every other day. The day that that Gaddy didn't spar, Purnell, I sparred him. The day I sparred him, Gaddy didn't spar. So. It was like the first day I got there, I got there when they uh, the camp was starting, but I was like already a week in advance. And that day that I got there, I got there late because of my plane. Gaddy and Purnell was just getting ready to start sparring, so I seen a little bit of it. But it was really nothing to see because Purnell was just too slick, too fast, too sharp, and, you know, Gaddy was just a big one-puncher. Um he was trying to land everything he could, and Purnell was just making him look bad. At that time, I never really thought about uh, fighting uh, Gaddy. I don't know if many Events ever thought that was something that they was going to make down the line. Me and Gaddy, we just, you know, we talked to each other. We went out a couple times. But At that time, that camp was in um, in Virginia, in Purnell's hometown. And Purnell was like, God, I mean... I'll never forget it. the day that Purnell and Gaddy sparred, Me and Gaddy went out that night, and we went shopping. And evidently, Purnell knew where we was going to go shopping. And me and Gaddy bought us. We bought about, between the both of us, I think me and Gaddy spent like $300 in clothes. But we was going to pay the guy, but the guy was like, your money is not good down here. we was like, what you mean? He was like, man, everything is on Purnell, whatever you want we Bill Purnell. I mean, that's that's the type of relationship I guess Purnell had in the city of Virginia. Yeah, and you got to wonder, like, because what you're saying,
0: how was it – why would Purnell bring in someone like Gotti to kind of prepare for Dale Ojo? what What do you think was beneficial for him in that area?
1: I think what was beneficial for him was that Gaddy um, stood in front of him, and he knew, and I think Purnell knew that, somewhere along the line, he was going to have to trade with Oscar. And at that time, Gaddy was probably the biggest puncher in a 135, 140 to maybe 147. You know what I'm saying? It depends on who Gaddy would have fought at 47, uh, who you would have been looking at, because Gaddy could really punch. And he was a 35-pounder. Well, in camp, he was about he was about a 47-pounder. But... um. And I think that the dude was thought that with uh, Gaddy being in front of him, and sitting in front of him and throwing punches and stuff, uh, that's what uh, Pernell needed to have in front of him to face him when it came to him sitting there taking punishment. Far as me, I was pretty much of a boxer with quick hands, and Oscar was pretty quick, but he's he, he was definitely he was definitely a power puncher, but. He threw good combinations, and I think that's what they used me for because, like I said, I tried, I was in the point of throwing six, eight-punch combinations, and if I couldn't hit Purnell, I knew De La Hoya couldn't hit him, and even though we was around the same age, maybe I was a year or two older than, than De La Hoya, and we had four in the amateurs. So I guess they figured if Oscar went to speed, how would that help Purnell? And it helped him. You've seen in, in, in some of the uh, – uh, Delahoya, uh, Pernell Whitaker fight. You seen uh, Delahoya try to throw combinations at him, and Pernell slipped all that. Shit. I mean, Pernell slipped every shot that Gaddy threw. So you know, Pernell was just unique, man. Pernell was just a different fighter. He was, uh, he was there before. He was, he was that guy that everybody wanted to be. And you know, I loved him, man. He was a great guy. Great human being, give your shirt over his back. He just was, he was just a good guy, and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to really meet him and be around him before you know he left us.
0: Now looking back on that fight, De La Hoya and Whitaker, you know, having been one of the guys that trained with him, what did you think about the fight? I mean, a lot of people thought, you know, Whitaker beat De La Hoya. Won. Yeah,
1: I thought Purnell won too. Um, Purnell thought he won, but I think going into the fight, Purnell was pretty much thinking about landing some big shots on Gaddy. I mean, some big shots on De La Hoya and really slowing him down in the later rounds to where, you know, he would, his experience would help him and that he would, you know, basically overcome the the bombards that uh, De La Hoya would uh, try to bring on him. But what I think was, I think even though they fought at 47. I think jolla, I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I think that Oscar was just a bigger guy, man. He he just posed a bigger size when it came to Purnell. And I think that Purnell was a small guy, even though he was a 47-pounder, Purnell was small. And I think that over the time of the rounds, I think the accumulation of punches kind of slowed Purnell down because you've seen in the later rounds, Purnell got real flat-footed, real flat-footed. And I think some of them shots took a lot out of Pernell.
0: Now, take me through a little bit when you fought Philip Holiday because that's kind of the fight they talked about. You know, in this uh, when you guys were coming out to the ring, you know, and
1: well, it's kind of vague. And I can't remember the walk out to the ring, but um, honestly, my camp was an okay camp, but then again, it wasn't a good camp. I had just went through a whole. Or and nobody really knows this but my camp. My dad was with me the whole my whole professional career until the get until the uh Philip Holiday fight. I think I hate to say it, but I I fired my dad like maybe two and a half, three weeks before the fight, and they say when you do something bad, they say karma comes back on you. And I think that whole camp leading to that was just a bombard of a messed up situation. Because actually, I was in camp with um, David Tour. I went to camp with David Tour down in Virginia. Purnell wasn't training at the time. It was me, David Tua, uh, Robbie Pender from Australia that me and him had a real great relationship And a dude signed him. I didn't know they signed him. We was down there in camp with him, and we was also in camp with uh, Junior Jones because Junior Jones fought uh, Marco Antonio uh, uh, Barrera, and um, they wanted me to come to camp because I was with main events. They told me to come to camp down in Virginia, and we was gonna be in camp for two weeks. Before the camp, I had open camp in Philly. The second week of camp in Philly, me and my dad had a little squabble. And I didn't like what was going on, so I fired him. And I think that's when uh things kinda went rock bottom for me. Because my dad was with me all what, I think when I fought uh uh Philip Holiday, I think I was like twenty and oh, somewhere around there, because we had just fought um before that, I think a month before that. Well, two months before that, we had just fought uh, Emmanuel Augustus. And honestly, Emmanuel Augustus was my hardest fight ever. I mean, we called him the drunken master. I mean, I hit this kid with everything. He was still there. And what made me mad, you know, uh, when you hit a guy, especially me, when I hit a guy with a combination and he stick his tongue out at me after I hit him and do a dance, that, that really pisses you off. And Augustus, was he was that dude. I had my dad with me, and I'll never forget it. I went back to the corner, and when I went and sat down in the corner, my dad got in the ring, and he smacked me. He was like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, what you talking about? He was like, you sitting here just laying back, letting this guy do anything. He was like, go out there, put your combinations together, and do what you're supposed to do, get rid of this kid. Well, you know, we were not getting rid of Emmanuel Augustus. but we did, uh, Rocking. We did have him on Queer Street. We did beat him up, and that was a, a USA fight. And they were, USA was saying that I was starting to pick it up. I was looking like the Ivan Robinson that I needed to look like that was catapulting me until my date with Philip Holiday. So, you know, we won the fight, went back home. My dad, you know, me and my dad, we went through it. I wasn't living with my dad. I was living in Jersey. I was married. And um, I went to camp. I think this like two weeks later, we went to camp, we was training and everything, and me and my dad got into a squabble, and I was really upset and mad, I can't remember what it was about or for, but I was really mad and upset, and my dad and my uh, ex-wife didn't really have great words, they didn't, they wasn't really liking each other, and at that time, my fiance, at the time, my wife, she was pregnant with with my daughter, and I really got fed up, and I was mad, and I fired my dad, and I went to camp down in Virginia with David Tua and them. Um, I went down there the first week by myself, my assistant trainer, Odell Cathay, rest in peace. Um, he was coming down the following week. Now, he was supposed to be my head trainer leading into the uh, Philip Holiday fight, but what happened, um, I didn't have a lead coach, which he should have been my lead coach, but he wasn't. He was placed as my second. Um, Junior Jones was in camp with us, and Junior was looking good. Junior left to go. I think they fought in Vegas. He fought Antonio Barrera. Antonio he wasn't supposed to win, but Junior Jones went out there and looked magnificent. He had Tommy Brooks in his corner. So I guess many Events looked at it like, you know, I'm a kid on the rise. They felt good about it. I felt good about it, even though I had just got rid of my, my dad I still felt as though I was gonna go out there and beat Philip Holiday. They brought Tommy Brooks in, and they made Tommy Brooks my head coach over top of my other coach. You know, at that time, um, I thought Main Events had my best interest by uh, bringing Tommy Brooks in. But leading up to the fight and in the fight, Tommy Brooks didn't give me the right advice that he should have gave me to get ready for Philip Holiday. Um, I didn't see um, Tommy Brooks giving me the right instructions and doing the fight to um, capitalize on what I needed to do to win the fight. Basically, really after like the third round, honestly, everything that I did in that fight came off of pure uh, skill because I felt as though that I was the better fighter. Anybody that knows me and know of me and knew what I was capable of doing could see that anything and everything that I was doing in the fight came off of pure uh, pure uh, experience off of what I knew how to do and what was good. The only thing that I think that was probably a little shady in the fight was that I found out before the fight, which I really didn't care, they were telling me that uh, Philip Hollow, they used to run marathons. And that was one of his uh, accesses to his career because he had longevity. Um, And I think that's what kind of bolted in both fight. I mean, and both of us fighting. We both had high volume of punches. We both were able to absorb punches, even though I think my defense was better. I didn't use it as much as I should have and as well as I should have after I looked at the fight. Um, And anybody that knows me just knew that I could have did a lot a lot thing a lot, th- lot more things better in that fight that I didn't do. And I think it was because of the fact that I didn't have my dad.
0: And you know, you just mentioned about absorbing punches and and you know, do you think that the conditioning is why people are able to absorb punches more or
1: is yeah, it definitely. Like uh, it's your shape. It's your cardio. Is is what you some of it has to do with um how they say it your uh your adrenaline because your your adrenaline is so high with you going into the fight like for instance I don't want to jump this far but for instance like the second getty fight. Um the second getty fight I think I absorbed more punches below the belt than I did in the first fight because after the second fight when um the fight was over um, I kept complaining about being hit low, and you know, you well, you don't know me, but anybody that know a Philly fighter knows that those that we fighters don't we don't cry about nothing. And Gaddy hit me a lot low in the second fight. Um, he hit me so much low that I complained at the end of the fight how my legs were hurting, how my hips was hurting. So with my dad and I mean with Boy Fisher and Odell Cathay, what they did and Leon Taz, what they did, they, I don't know where they got it from, but they got like three bags of ice and put it in the tub and ran water. And when I took my cup off and my shorts, my hips were swollen. So what they told me to do, they told me to sit sit in the ice to knock the swelling down. But what happened when I got in the tub of water, it was so cold I guess it must have made my body like, I don't know, must have relaxed. And when I relaxed, I urinated in the tub with the ice, and I urinated a whole bunch of blood. So I blended out blood the whole time that I sat in the ice water. And that was because of the punches that I absorbed from the Getty fight. So, you know, sometimes we guys, we get hit upside the head and we get hurt or sometimes we get hit with a good shot and we may get dazed, but we'll come back. But like I said, with our drillium so running so high, sometimes them shots don't take an effect until after you lay in the bed and go to sleep, you wake up the next morning and you you feel you, you find out that your head is pounding and you wonder why your damn head pounding, that comes from the shot you got hit with. Like, um I'm i am I don't mind telling people things about like my fighters. I don't mind talking to them and telling them about certain fights that I've been in. Like I like I tell you when I tell the audience, there's been times I'll be sitting in my living room watching TV. Swear to God, I be sitting here watching TV, looking at TV, and out of nowhere I'll get a I'll get a flashback of getting hit with that left hook and that 10th round that I got hit with by Gaddy, and it just throws me for a loop. Mm. Things like that happens, you know. But, you know, those are the uh, tribes and tribulations that you go through in your career as being a fighter. It's just that I'm glad that I never been in a in a fight where that I've been knocked out unconscious or nothing like that you know I, I you know i pray i pray to god and thank god that he always kept me uh safe able to you know talk to people like you and other uh uh announcers uh sports writers friends family whoever you know so i i would say that i'm one of the blessed ones
0: you know you mentioned about how uh, your management company kind of signed you a trainer you know is it kind of like?
1: Is it irritating where you don't have control after a while?
0: You know they're kind well, of.
1: Yeah. Well, you know I, I. You know when I I say it like this I I always say I always say I'm I'm cut from a different breed. My management team, which was really um, Eddie Woods and Kathy Nicolosi, my promotional company was Main Events. I think my manager, Eddie Woods, and and Kathy Nicolosi, and my dad. I got to definitely bring my dad in, even though, you know, later in my career he wasn't with me. And I still say if he was with me from the time that I fought Philip Holiday, I'd have been champion, and I think I still would have been champion because everything that I've done before the Philip Holiday fight and so on, my dad was the one who invested in doing everything he did for me to get me to being the great fighter that I was, but um, I think that my manager Eddie Woods, and my co-manager Kathy Nicolosi, I think they've done a great job with me because they kept me out of the loop as far as um, conversing with the with the promoters and the promoters stealing money from me. And I, I never had to worry about anything. Like for instance, when I fought Gaddy. The second time, although I know we're not talking about that yet, and I know you're gonna get to it, but when we forget it, the second time, HBO, which was Larry Merchant, uh, uh, Lou DiBello, uh, Jim, Gary Shaw, Jim, all those guys, huh? Uh, and yeah, Jim, Lamp. yeah, all those guys. I swear to God. I hadn't even fought Gaddy probably, or got out the ring with Gaddy like ten minutes before they were talking about a second Gaddy fight. I wasn't even thinking about a second Gaddy fight. All I was thinking about doing was going home and resting. I mean, Jim Lampley, Larry Merchant, Lou DiBella, Main Events, uh, Gary Shaw—they was always—they was already talking about a uh, rematch. I'm like a rematch. I'm saying to myself, why would I want to fight this guy again? After I just fought a 10 ruling hard fight with this guy. I don't want to fight this guy again. My thing was I was thinking about a Shane Mosley or title fight. I only had what uh two losses. You know what I'm saying? I had just lost to Philip Holiday before that, even though I had lost to Israel Cardona before that, but that was like a, a that fight with Israel Cardona I wasn't in shape. I wasn't thinking about nothing. I had just came off a loss with Philip Holiday, so I was still kind of shell-shocked. So my thing was, after beating Gaddy, that was the highlight of my career. I wanted to think about something else, but HBO, Jim Lampley and all those guys, they wouldn't let me sleep. They wronged my phone and bothered me, but like I said, I got to give Kathy Nicolosi and Eddie Woods all the credit in the world because they kept me away from that. They did all the negotiation. They made sure that they was the ones that they talked to. And they made a great um, investment in, in that fight, which I had to fight him again. Well, I didn't have to fight him again. They just made it to my wow that we fought again. And I'm glad that it happened because it definitely put me in a position where I had to show the world what I was able to do and what I was capable of doing. Which people who already knew we knew what I was capable of doing, but I had to prove it to the world. Yeah. You know,
0: the fight with Gaddy, I mean, you you were saying I was going to get to it. I was kind of really focusing on you more, but uh, you know, could if that happened today with social media and everything, everyone would have been all over that, like contacting each other, asking if they're watching this, you know, so I I could see why they'd want to see it again because everyone
1: was off the high of watching. When I watched it, like, I couldn't believe it, you know? You know, and the, and the crazy part is when I when I turned professional in 92, I started off, I went off, of course, I went to 20-0 and 0 before I got my first loss. Um, by the time I got the, I think, six or seven fights, I had said to myself, I didn't know, you know, and I'm not a psychic, I'm not a person that sitting around and try to uh, think what's going to happen 10 years from now or nothing like that. But I had said to myself, I said, I don't care what I do in this career, in my career, all I want to do is the fans to be pleased on what it is that I do and understand that I work hard to do what I do and to get where I want to go and To be in a position where one day people can say, you know what, Ivan, you fought a great fight. I want to thank you for fighting and and giving us uh, a scare or me falling out the chair or whatever. And whoever would have thought that it would have been the Gaddy fight. And going into the Gaddy fight, I never said, oh, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to fight this guy, man, and we're going to put on a spectacle." I never thought of that. My whole thing was, leading up to the Gaddy first fight, when we met in New York for the press conference, I'll never forget it. My best friend, my right-hand man, Randy Carter, was with me when we went there. And, um, you know, it was like they had both of us on the podium. Of course, they had me go first. Then they had Gaddy go second. They asked me what about the fight. I told them I was just like, you know, it was a great fight. You know, me and Gaddy been in camp two or three times. We never sparred each other. I never thought that we would fight. And I'm looking forward to going out here and winning. That's all I said. I, I didn't uh belitter the man. I didn't talk nasty to to him. I never talked nasty to the uh the, to the sports writers enough about him. So it was his turn. He turned to everybody and was like, They got him, they want me to fight him. I'ma knock him out, I punch too hard. Then this is what really had me kind of like puzzled. I didn't understand. I had to ask my best friend. He got up on the podium and he said, well, i bring the guns to the to the fight and he don't do nothing but bring knives. So I'm sitting there looking at him like, huh? I'm like, all right. So then afterwards we took pictures. You know, we shook hands because we were friends, you know, but my thing was we had to go in there and fight. And it was about me making a mark in the fight. And I already knew that the only way Gaddy was going to win this fight was that he was going to have to knock me out or kill me. And one of two things, he was going to have to pretty much not catch me, but have to catch me the land a shot to knock me out because I knew I was a better boxer. I knew I had the better skills. Um, I knew I could make him miss. Um, one thing that I did want to do, in the fight that I did do in the fight was that I wanted to give him more angles. I wanted to hit him from different angles. I wanted him to be trying to uh stalk me, to, to catch me, to land a shot. So when he tried to deliver, I would, of course, like you said, I'm a, I was a guy with volume of punches. I was going to hit this guy like 67 times before he even landed one. But going back to that, he had said how do a guy expect to win a fight if he gonna bring knives to a gunfight. fight so I'm sitting there like alright I ain't paying no attention so on my way back to Philly because I came from Philly and my uh, manager had got us a, a limo for me and my partner my buddy and my managers to go out there so on the way back I asked my man Rennie I said Rennie I said what did God he mean about bringing knives to a gunfight? He was like, man, how stupid can you be? I'm like, yo, what are you talking about? He was like, man, you can't punch. He said, the only thing you're going to do is cut him up. I remember that, and that stayed in my head the whole time in camp. But in camp, my trainers, which was Odell Cathay and Bowie Fisher, I had I had bought Bowie Fisher in after the uh, Philip Holiday fight because Bowie Fisher trained Bernard Hopkins. And I wanted somebody that I could trust. And I knew that would have my back in the fight. So we brought boy Fisher in. So when we went back to training in Philly, because we stayed in Philly, we ain't going to else. We opened up camp in Philly, and it was great. Um, I had Mike Melvin and Anthony Thompson as my sparring partners. So um, the whole time we in camp, we did do nothing but box, 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 give angles, box, 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 combination, volume of punches, head movement, giving angles working on angles I work I think I worked on angles for about 2 weeks straight before I even start boxing um that was the whole plan in the fight for the fight I'm sorry for the fight box 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 so the night of the fight we get in the, in the in the dressing room I I'm kind of nervous because what happened was the night before the fight my manager came in the room and he he bought a uh, he bought a, uh, uh v- back then was the VCRs. He bought the VCR taping and he stuck it inside the uh, VCR and he told me to watch the uh Gabriel Ruelas Arturo Gaddy fight. And I seen it, and I could see how Gaddy was pum- punishing Artur- I mean uh, Gabriel Ruelas with these body shots. How he was just you know breaking me down. And I'm sitting there saying to myself like, damn. A guy can't really punch that hard. And then when I said that, he turned around and turned the left hook over on Gabriel. Lights out. I was like, yo, I'm actually going to fight this guy tomorrow. So, like, two hours before the the, the, uh, actual fight, you know, we all in the dressing room getting warmed up and everything. Every fight before we go out to the arena to fight, my team always have a prayer. So we had a prayer. Normally, my team walks out first and I walks out in the middle. So we had our prayer. I finished warming up. The uh, inspector came back and was like, You get ready. We get ready to walk out in two minutes. So I'm like, All right. We had our prayer. So we had to say, Everybody asked, Was I ready? I was like, Yeah. So I said to myself, I said, Yo, I said, Everybody come back here. Everybody came back to the center. We all got in the center. I said to my whole team, Honest, the guy said to my whole. I said, "You know what? I said this guy going to knock me out tonight because I'm gonna fight this guy." They was like, "No, no, would you keep you just box? You do what you?" I said, "No, man. I said in order for this guy to win tonight, he going to have to kill me." And I ran. I shot straight out to the to the ring. Ran out to the ring, and they was like, "Yo, what you doing?" I was like, "Man, this guy going to kill me tonight." So we gets out to the ring. We gets out to the corner, and they came to me and they was like, hey, what you gonna do?" I said, "Man." I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with this guy. He was like, no, you box this guy, you box. I said, man, I'm standing toe-to-toe. And the reason I think I did that was because that fight I knew was going to be – my fight where I was going to be able to start making big money was going to put me to the point as an elite fighter, which a lot of people already knew that I was that elite fighter – but they needed to see me fight somebody to get there. And Main Events picked me to fight Gaddy because Gaddy had just got beat by Angel Man Freddy. And they wanted an easy fight for Angel Man Freddy. And they said that I couldn't punch. And they said I was too, too dumb enough to box him that I was going to sit there and he was going to knock me out of four rounds. So I, I felt that was a, a smack in the face. I felt that was a disrespect. So I said to myself and to my team, like, yo. We got to change our game plan. we definitely going to fight. So my coach, Bowie Fisher, who was my second, Odell was always going to be my first, except for the uh, Philip Holiday fight when they brought Tommy Brooks in. Um, Bowie Fisher wanted me to, of course, because Bowie Fisher was an old-time veteran fighter that worked with Bernard, and he had Bernard on his A-game. Me and Bernard were two different fighters, though. But my thing was, Mr. Bowie Fisher worked with me on my turns. He kept telling me to turn, and he was that type of guy. He wanted me to turn, and he wanted me to get back to the center of the ring and use my jab. Of course, angles was nothing new because my dad worked with me on angles my whole career. My dad invested angles in me, so that wasn't a problem. And my coach, uh, Odell Cathay, wanted me to keep my volume punching high, but he also wanted me to keep my defense tight too. So, you know, one thing that I liked about my corner and that that goes back to my dad. Like I said, my dad was with me my whole life. And Odell Cathay was with me from like 84 or 85. Somewhere around there. Odell was part of my team from that time to my, to my whole professional career, I never got rid of Odell because I feel as though loyalty in boxing isn't something that is in boxers. I think if you have a, a trainer that's in your corner and he ride with you from day one, why would you not keep him with you? I understand that we have great uh, Eddie Futch and 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 uh, uh, my man Barry Hunter and, and and Kevin Cunningham, all those type guys, they great trainers. I and I take nothing away from. Them. I know all three of them. They great. They very great trainers. And I feel as though I'm a great one too. But my thing is, why not stay with who got you to where you at? I know sometimes to some point that um you feel as though your trainer can't take you to the next level. But my thing is this: why not keep him with you and have an addition added on to what you can do? It's just like when you buy a car, you know what I'm saying, like race car drivers, they always add stuff onto their cars to make it go faster, right? So why not bring in an experienced trainer with you to help you do the things that you need to do? So that's that's just what it was, and we went out there, and my team worked great. Um, I, only, I, only, I can laugh about it now because I've seen it recently. I don't watch the Getty fight a lot. But I see and hear that a lot of people watch it. And I'm glad that, you know, I get that love like that. Rest in peace, Arturo. Because if it wasn't Arturo, Gaddy thinking that he could beat me and taking me, I probably would have never got the chance to be exploited to the world like I did. Um, you know, they my corner helped me. My Like, for instance, my dad would work on one thing. My dad worked on volume. My dad worked on defense. Uh, Odell worked on offense. So, you know, I had two great cornermen that worked on two different things in my camp. So they blended together, they worked together, and they invested in me to put what I needed into into that fight with Arturo Gatti, and it was a great fight.
0: Yeah. How did you feel about as it's going on, as the fight is happening? Um, do you feel that – I mean, do you feel that in the crowd this is – a Pretty crazy fight, or are you just not oblivious to all that?
1: Uh, I think I only got excited one time, and if you look at the fight, I think that was the first round.
0: Yeah, when I you, mean,
1: you kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> look, you know the fight real well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I threw 112 punches in that fight, and that first round, um, that wasn't something that was uh script wasn't something that was written. It was just that to be honest with you, Arturo Gaddy could be hit. And like I said, in the fight and you can hear it on, on TV when Larry Merchant said it I didn't have to look for Gaddy. All I had to do was just know how and when to put my paws on him. Because he wasn't he wasn't anything special. I mean I loved him as a friend and as a, as a fighter, but he wasn't nobody that really stuck out to you because any great fighter, any great boxer that could box would be able to outbox him, would be able to outpunch him. But the thing is, when Arturo loaded up and he let loose, the thing was the opponent that was fighting, could they withstand his power? Cause believe it or not, get I fought Gaddy at one thirty-five. I came in at one thirty-three and a half, and at after the weigh-in, I think I came in at like one forty. I think Gaddy came in like one fifty something, or one forty something like that. I know he had an eight eight pound weight advantage on me. Not saying that's that was for anything or word about anything, because as you see, as the fight went on, I sat right in front of him. And I took shots that I shouldn't have never took. But like I said, that first fight was a respect fight because I know Wolf Tickets sell tickets, but Arturo Gatti was so confident. It didn't matter. Like, I seen him, like, a month before he fought Mayweather. It was just, like, he said to me, he was like, Ivan, you know, I know this is a tough fight, but he like, I'm going to shock the world. And I'm saying to myself, like, Gaddy, are you serious? You 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 think you're going to beat Mayweather? I mean, Mayweather is either one or two things. He's going to have to be drunk or he going to have to forget for you to catch him. I knew Mayweather wasn't going to let him hit him. He was not going to let him. It didn't matter what it was going to take, but Mayweather was not going to let Gaddy hit him. And he didn't. He kept him on the outside. He pummeled him. He, he just hit him with so many punches. And it was just crazy, you know. So, Arturo, I take nothing away from him. He was a great fighter. I loved him, man. He was very exciting. And in that era, which was my era, that's what fans wanted to see. They wanted to see a guy like Gaddy get pummeled but then come back and end and the fight just like a baseball game, you know. You messing around and you, you in the World Series and you up 3-2, to two, but, you know, Barry Bonds getting ready to come up, and if you throw that Joker a fastball and he hit it, it's gone. That's what people wanted to see. They wanted to see that sh- they wanted to see that fastball thrown, and they wanted to see if Barry Bonds was going to knock it over the gate. They wanted Gaddy to, to to hit me with that big shot, which he did, but it didn't do anything. Yeah, you know, I
0: was on a submarine, in my, you know, when I was in the military, I was on submarines, and uh. My dad used to send me VHS tapes because he would tape the HBO fights for me, uh-huh. and yeah, we'd watch them down there. And guys kept like when I was sleeping, guys would come to my rack and say, "Hey, you got the Gotti Robinson fight? You know, we want to watch it again." The guys submarine? are watching that. Yeah, they watched it all the time. So I've I've wow. seen it tons of times.
1: You know, wow, by myself no
0: with with the, on the submarine, <clears throat> just all kinds of times I've seen it. Yeah.
1: Wow, I appreciate that. I mean that. Like I said, you know somewhere in in a fighter's career, even if you can get the best of them, some of them are probably gonna say no, some of them' are probably gonna say yeah, but I'm gonna be the one to say, yeah, that I'm actually overwhelmed um to the point that I love the fact that I can get gentlemen like you, people across the world I don't have people from overseas, inbox me, text me, and tell me how great that they, you know, love the the, the Gaddy-Robinson fights, both one and two. Just like I'm proud to say that I love to see the Joe Frazier, one, two, and three. You know, I mean, it was even to the point that my team, not my, my, my team that trained me, but I'm saying, like my team, team, like my family. Well, not my family members. People outside my family members said, "Well, Ivan, why didn't you, why didn't you lose the second fight so it could have been the third fight?" And I tell them, like, you don't. When you get in a position to do things like that, you're not thinking about what if. You're thinking about right now. And my thing was, I had God brought to my table of uh, Robinson Gaddy 2. It wasn't in the script to be Robinson Gaddy 3 because if it was, it would have happened. And God forbid, my thing at that time was about, Gaddy was the hottest guy in the world. I don't care. And anyway, he was the hottest guy in the world. My thing was, I was making the biggest, biggest money in my career. Why wouldn't I fight him a second time? I'm not trying to lose to this man not once, not twice. Not three times, not never. I'm trying to win both times. So that's what it was. I went out there and the second fight I say is the is the second fight that I fought should have been the first fight that I should have fought. But what if I would have fought the first the second fight the way I fought what if I would have fought the first fight the way I fought the second fight. It might not have been a second fight. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, God working mysterious ways. You know, I want to thank HBO for bringing it to me a second time. Rest in peace, sir, Charles. Thank you for giving me the opportunity because no one knows that at that time, regardless of what you want to say or how you want to say it, nobody really ever, I ain't going to say ever, but nobody really wanted to give me a shot at nothing. After, Even after I lost to Philip Holiday, nobody wanted to give me a shot. Philip Holiday went well. What happened before me and Philip Holiday for it? People thought that Shane Mosley was going to win the IBF title, and they was talking about um, a Robinson Mosley fight. Um, but for some reason, Philip Holiday jumped in. I don't know how that happened. He won the title. I was number one, so it was no way, no ifs, don't no hows. Back then, I didn't hear about getting uh, step-aside money. It was like, you're number one. The champion got to fight you. So I was good with that, and I was ready for that. So I took that fight. Even though I thought I won, I didn't get it. Shane Mosley beat Forty McBeaty. I think I was, like, number four or number five in the world. Um, I asked for Shane Mosley fight. Shane Mosley didn't want to fight. Um, I think maybe like a year later, after uh, Shane had defended the title maybe once or twice, he came to Philly to fight. And this was prior to the Getty fight. Um, Shane was on his way to Philly to fight. He was coming to a press conference. I had just fought a month before that in Philly at the armory, but I suffered a cut. And I was in the gym training, and I, my manager was trying to get me a fight. So Shane Mosey came to Philly to fight, but he came to a press conference. And I think I was in the gym training, and my manager came in the gym and was like, Ivan. I said, yeah, he was like your teammate here. I was like, who? He was like, Shane Mosey. I was like, well, what's Shane doing in Philly? He was like, Shane coming to Philly because he – Got a date. Can't remember who the promoter was, but they had brought Shane to Philly to fight, and Shane was gonna fight somebody from somewhere to defend his title. So when they told me about it, I left training camp. Well, not training camp, but training that day to go down to the Spectrum to convince. Well, not convince, but to go to Shane Mosley and try to get the fight. The 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 the, the uh, stadium was packed. Shane was getting ready to fight. I mean, Shane was getting ready to go on a podium to talk about getting an opponent. This that. I went down there, went to the to the weigh in, stepped in front of the the way in. I mean, stepped in front of the podium to his press conference and was like, Shane, how you gonna come to Philly, and I fight a guy from Philly, right in my hometown. I mean, at that time, I had. Two losses. Shane had no losses at that time. Shane was the best lightweight, and he was. Shane was the best lightweight in the world. Like I said, I think I was like number four or five by the WBC. I think I was three by the W by the IBF, and I was rated somewhere by the WBA, which at that time was the Japanese champion. Um. So we were. I went down there with my buddy, and me and Shane almost got into a fight, with fist fight down there, because I'm saying to Shane, like, yo, you coming into Philly, you talking about bringing somebody in the fight, and you got a guy right here in the city of Philly that you can fight, that that, that has a big draw. So, you know, me and him went back-to-back. We had words we almost fought, whatever. So the promoter made the fight. I'll never forget it. When I went back home that night after the big brawl down at the, the casino and everything, I must have had about 40 calls like, yo, we want to see this fight. You and Shane, we want to. And I was already in camp training because I was bugging my manager to get me a fight. So me and Shane made the fight. We was going to fight. I go into camp. Remember now, I had just fought a month before that, and I had a cut over my eye. My cut man told me to put butterflies over it. And the cut was healed up. It wasn't a big cut. It was just a nice little gash. And I was going to go into the Shane Mosey fight with that cut. So, so what happened, they ordered me some type of headgear, uh, but it was a mask with a bar across the front. I hated that headgear. I hated it. What happened was I had the butterfly stitches over my eye, and I had the headgear. I was using the headgear. The headgear rubbed the uh, the uh, butterfly stitches off and it opened up the, the cut. They was like, I went to the doctor, to the eye doctor to get it looked at and they told me I couldn't fight. Man, when I announced that I couldn't fight, man, every ticket that was sold for me and him was returned. And the promoters were hot. But I couldn't fight. He messed around and fought somebody. I can't remember who he fought. But he stopped him in the fifth round, and Shane didn't want to fight because we tried to make a later date for the fight, and I think they were trying to make it in Vegas instead of Philly. And I was kind of mad because I wanted it in Philly, but they wanted it in Vegas, and they wanted the champion to have the, the to, to rights to where he won the fight and Shane picked Vegas, which was cool. But um, I was going to be out a while. And that fight wasn't going to happen. Shane said he didn't want to fight. So now I'm in the gym training, training, thinking, trying to think of a fight to have. And like I said, I think like uh, maybe a month before that, Gaddy and Man Manfredi fought. And and Man Manfredi stopped Gaddy. And my manager was trying to get a fight, get a fight. And there was nothing on the table for us. We couldn't get a fight. And I'm sitting in the house. I'm mad. I'm getting disgusted. Um, I'm upset because I couldn't get a fight or nothing like that. So my phone rings. I'm sitting in the living room back in back then. You had the phones with the uh with the uh, caller ID on it, and it was my manager. So I picked up the phone. I'm like, "What's up, Ed?" He was like, "Um, I think I got something on the table for you." I'm like, "What you talking about?" He like, I-, "I think I got a contract coming through for you." With a fight, I said, Well, um and back then, well not really back then, I was the type of fighter I didn't care if he was telling me I was I was fighting smoke blow. It didn't matter to me, I fought him. It didn't care, I didn't care if the joke was thirty and you know, old or thirty nine because I fought him. So he said to me, he said, Well, it's coming from main events. I said, Well, who are they talking? He was like, I'm not sure. Give me an hour, I'll call you back. So, you know, I sat in the house, waited for him, um, I had my uh, my son and my daughter. My son was the youngest at the time, Little Mighty Jr. We in the house playing. This, that, I was so sort the of phone wrong. So at the time I was married, my wife was like, it's Eddie. So I pick up the phone. So I'm like, what's up, Eddie? He was like, I got I got your opponent. I said, you got my opponent? He was like, well, not really. He was like, you, you're the opponent. I was like, I'm the opponent. I was like, I thought this was the main events card. He was like, yeah, but it's a double co-promotion. I said, what you mean? He was like, you're day fighter, and the person that they want you to fight is their fighter. So I'm sitting there like, alright, and I want to fight because I've been in the gym, and the cut ain't is it, okay, but it's going to be okay because uh, my dad had the uh, doctors tell me that they was going to sew the cut on inside and out, so I was going to get a double stick. So he said, um, I got who they want you to fight. So I'm like, well, who? He like, I said, I can't hear you. He like, I said, who? He said, Arturo Gaddy. I said, okay, no problem. I said, um, when we got Sonic Adre? He said, um, they sent it over to me. So I said, okay. So I hung up the phone. So my wife was in the kitchen. I go to the kitchen. She like, that was Eddie. They got to fight for you? I'm like, yeah. She like, who you fighting? I said, um, Arturo Gaddy. She like, who? I said, Arturo Gaddy. She's like, no, not Gaddy. I thought about it. I'm like, did I just say I was going to fight Arturo Gaddy? So I called him back. I'm like, yo, did you say Arturo Thunder Gaddy? He like, yeah. I'm like, yo, are you serious? He like, yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool. Shh. Contract came over. I signed that contract with the Quickness. Sent it back. The next day I was in the gym training. I don't know how, but, you know, the world talks. By the time I got, because I used to train at night. I used to train at, I trained at six. So we got to the gym early that night. At least we didn't start training till six, but I went early. I got to the gym at four. By the time I got to the gym, everybody in their mom knew I was fighting. They was like, yo, man, that is a great fight. But, yo, man, you had to be in tip-top shape. I said, what makes you think I'm not? I said, I'm going to beat this kid. Man, that I don't know what it was, but that fight grew so much attention across the world, and just in the city of Philly, it was like it was crazy, man. It was like it was like the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. That's not what it was like, man. It was like first of all, a lot of people was glad that I had that fight because a lot of people wanted to actually really see me display my display my talent. Second of all, nobody really thought I was going to win. I, my management team, I say it to this point, and most of my management team, in, God guy resting told with these guys, um, most of them are dead. The only ones that ain't dead is my dad and my, my ex-manager. But I believe that even my team didn't think I was going to win this fight. But I knew in my heart that I was going to win this fight, and I was going to do whatever it took for me to be in tip-top shape for this fight. And I mean, when I say, um, T, when I went into camp, I mean, I went into camp, I moved out my house. Well, I didn't really move out my house, but I left my house, I went to camp. I stayed in camp for eight weeks. Um, My right-hand man, Randy Carter, he stayed with me. He, he worked at McGee Rehabilitation uh, Center downtown. That joker used to go, and we both were married. And the thing about it, we was married to to sisters. Um, He used to go to work, and from work he used to come to the gym. I mean, he used to come to the gym, and then he used to come back to camp with me and stay with me. We had a um, two-bedroom apartment. I had a room. He had a room. He watched over me. He made sure that I got up and ran before he went to work. Um, I, I lived in Jersey, but I moved to Philly to train. My manager lived around the corner from me in Penn He used to come, I mean, uh, Delran. He used to come from uh, Delran all the way to Philly to pick me up and take me all the way back over to Camden to do my five-mile run over a park called uh, Cooper River. We ran that that, that river for I'm going to say about six weeks. Um I stayed away from my family for six weeks. I didn't see my daughter and my son. Um, From the gym, I went home. Um, I stayed in the house. I watched TV. I played video games. I thought nothing but boxing. I slept. I ate boxing. I trained. I ran. I did all the necessary things that I needed to do to win this fight against Arturo Getty. And it lived up to his expectations. Um, I trained hard. I put in two, three hours a day in the gym. I had a conditioning coach who trained me for half an hour. He used to beat the mess out of me to the body with the medicine ball and my sticks that I got that I do with my fighters down. Man, I was in great shape. And I went out there and um, I proved to the world that, and I think to some of the fighters that, if you put your mind to whatever it is you want to do, not just boxing, but anything in general. If you want to be a doctor, if you're going to go to school to study to be a doctor, if you're going to study the, 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 the book that you need to study to know how to make medicine, what uh type of medicine you need to take when you're sick, you put your heart and your mind to it and you go do it, there's nothing you can't do. And I think that I, um, that I proved that. And um it worked out for me. And I'm glad that you and everybody in the world got to see me display my talent.
0: I want to talk a little bit about you know your training fighters now, so kind of tell me a little bit about your gym. And you know, um,
1: well, I'm at I train at um the Kingdom of Boxing Fitness Gym, it's in Philly, is uh on uh Grissom 4434 Grissom uh Street. I got my old training uh. Teammate with me, Derek Bernie. Uh, we train, man. We there from eight in the morning to practically right before I get to you, nine o'clock at night. Um, you know, we have all types of fighters that come in, come through. We train them. We get them in good shape. I have a kid right now by the name of Not Fair Charles. He's the um, the ABF lightweight champion. He's uh eight 0 oh with seven knockouts. No more eight and eight and oh one draw. He has seven knockouts. We fighting December the eleventh here in Philly at the twenty three hundred Arena. Um, he's a good kid. Uh, great talent. Hopefully, you'll see him down the line. Um, his uh advisor right now is Rick Ross. Um, and I just you know. Try to get him, give him the right uh, advice, the right toolage. He listens. He's well uh, trained by his father, Chris Casey. Uh, he got a great, a great, great uh, conditioning coach named Wendell uh, Chavers. Um, and we in the gym every day, working and um, trying to get better.
0: Now, when you train these guys, can you instill in them to do like the combination fighting that you would do? Or
1: I try, I try, but (laughs) I try, T. But you know, um, this, this, I don't want to say this millennium, but these, these, this patch of fighters nowadays, this, this era is totally different from my era. Um, Uh, you can only, the old saying is you can only lead the horse to the water, but he got to be the one to drink it. Same way with the fighters. You can only give them what you get, give them, but it's up to them to go out there and use it. So my thing is I ain't trying to change no fighters' style. I'm not trying to have them emulate me. Um, Yeah, I might try to give them some punches. I'm definitely a coach where – I don't like to get hit. I never like to get hit. So with me, it's about your defense. It's about your balance. And it's about you hitting them and not getting hit. Um, yes, I teach angles. I'm always teaching angles. Um, how not to be on the line, moving your head, and all those But, you know, these fighters, uh, some of them get it, some of them don't. I just try to help who I can help do what they can do to make them better. And I like the fact that, you know, they. some of them think of me as a great trainer. Some of them emulate me. Some of them think I'm the greatest thing since, like my old managers say, cream cheese. And then there's still some out there that I have to uh, really um, let them know that I'm capable of doing the things that they want to do or invest in in them and teaching them the things that they need to know uh, ain't nothing ain't nothing special about me at all except for I like to smile a lot and I'm very hard at what I do I take boxing very seriously I don't like fighters getting hit because I didn't like to get hit um, I don't like fighters trading um, I just want fighters to be smart I want them to be smarter than what I was. So I try to give them the knowledge that I was told, the things I was told, how I was told it, and for them to try to make their own path, but at the same time understand where I'm coming from with them. Um, You know, you have some fighters that do that. I have some guys that I constantly have to be on all the time, but I think that's what makes my job great. Because I seen my dad do it with me my whole career. I mean, from my dad had me from the age of five to to twenty four. But the great thing about that is that I have my dad with me now. Uh, we have a we I manage a, uh, a heavyweight by the name of Dominique Mayfield, and my dad actually trains him. So all the things that I See my dad do me and how he trained me, I see him invest that into Dominique. And it's just amazing to sit back. My dad is 76. And for him to still do the things that he's doing now, that he did with me when I was five and six, it's great, man. It's amazing. Um, So I just try to uh, keep, My eye on my dad, emulate my dad, listen to the things that he teaching my fighter and the fighters in the gym, not just my fighter, because my dad have other guys that he talked to, he trained, and he helped me with, so that's a good thing, so um, like I said, I think I'm blessed, man, I still got my dad, he's with me every day, Um, I'm training fighters, Um, I still. know other people like Bo- uh, uh, Bozy Ennis, who trains Jerron Ennis. That's his dad. He's right around the corner from me at his gym. Uh, I've known Bozy since I was his son age. Five or six. He watched me grow up. So, you know, boxing is something that I think is 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 great for a, uh, a human being far as man and woman, to have in their life. It ain't about just boxing. It ain't about trying to make money. Nowadays, with all the killing and stuff going on in the world, I think it's about just about protecting yourself, being able to know how to protect yourself when it comes to fighting. Of course, nowadays, it's about the guns and stuff. Like I always told my dad, I wish I came up in his era, because back then, you know, they actually fought. They got out and they handled their beats out in the street as far as with these, not these, you know? So I just try to do what I can take. That's all. Now, before we wrap
0: it up, I just want to know, like, who are you kind of watching today? Are you paying a lot of attention to the boxers today?
1: Um, yeah, I'm paying attention to them. I pay attention to a lot of them. Are you asking me? And I'm, you probably are, and if you're not, I'm gonna put you on blast. But are you asking me who's my best uh, fighter nowadays? Do you want me to give you my top three in no order category? No, no not necessarily. Um, Just maybe some okay. someone that comes to
0: mind that you think is good, or you know, everyone has their different, you know, preferences. I want to know right. kind of who you think or who you're paying attention to because you think they're good, you know?
1: Well, I'm, of course, um, I can't go down to every weight because I'm not really sure about everybody' weight, but I'm going to go... I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you four, maybe five. I'm going to give you four to maybe five guys that I'm watching, and these guys that I'm watching that are definitely in, in this order. And they're in this order because this is my pick. But other people may think different. One, Jeron Ennis. I think Jeron Ennis is so uh talented that is that is just crazy. Like, you know, I just said to you a few minutes ago, his dad, Bozy Ennis, knew me since I was a kid. And it's crazy now. I'm older. I know his son, Jerron, since he was a kid. You know, since he stepped in the gym back when he was, like, five or six. You know, running around the ring, getting in the ring, in between rounds, shadow boxing and all that type stuff. So, I mean, people probably going to say no. But, yeah, I got Jerron in as my number one guy. Number two, I'm going to go with Bud Crawford. Number three, I'm gonna go with Tank Davis. I got to go with Canelo. Four.
0: Yeah, I love uh, Tank. Kind of reminds me of uh, maybe some of the guys that fought on HBO. You know, he's willing to take a risk to get the knockout. You know, he wants the knockout. He's gonna yeah, put himself in harm's way to get it. You
1: know. Yeah, and then sometimes you know that that that's not a good that's not a good situation. <laughs> yeah, situation. You know, but it is what it is. Um, I want to say the heavyweight division, but I really don't don't have nobody. I mean, I like the Cuban guy from I mean, from Cuba, uh, King Kong. You know, I really like him. Um, that's basically it. But I but I am necessarily watching a lot of boxing, and I have to because of the simple fact I'm in it so deep. You know, I need to know these guys. You know, I need to know these coaches. You know, um, I'm certified by USA Boxing, so I do a lot of amateur boxing. So my amateurs are moving. They're starting to progress and get better. So I need to start putting them in position to, like, go out to nationals, go out to a show that may be in Maryland, go out to a show that may be in Ohio, you know, things of that nature, because – I think recognition when it comes to boxing is, is everything. You know, if you don't know a guy in the boxing world, how can you call yourself a boxer? Why can you call yourself a trainer? You have to know. Like coming up, when I was coming up, everybody know who Mighty Mouse was. Uh, everybody know who uh, Mark Johnson was. Everybody know who Chris Chris Bird was. Everybody know who. Eric Griffin was or Paul Vaden or Bernard Hopkins. You know, we knew these guys because we was in it so deep. So that's just how it should be nowadays. Um <laughs> am I a um a fan of YouTube, uh uh walk on fighters? <laughs> no, not really. But it makes money, it keeps the flow of boxing, the only thing is that I I feel some type of way about is how do you get a guy like a what is it? Gene Paul or Paul Gene, whatever come along and make all this money when I got a guy like a kid like Nafir Charles who's undefeated you know, knocking on the door to some big and great things in his his years to come he's only 21 I'm saying that you got a guy, Gene Paul He, what, in his mid-20s, and he making all his money? Ah, I don't like it, but boxing is what it is, and I love boxing. So, that's what I do.
0: Now, is there anything you want to leave the interview on or people that that watch this maybe you want them to know or just something you think is important?
1: Boxing ain't a game. Boxing is real. If you're going to be a boxer or an athlete, period, not just boxing, but if you're going to be an athlete, period, baseball, football, boxing, hockey, uh, golf player, whatever, give it 100%. There's no cakewalk in boxing. There's no cakewalk in anything. The the, the worst team in the world that you think that you should be, you could lose to it. The worst boxer in the world that you think you should lose to takes one shot. That's all it takes. You get caught, it's a wreck. So I would love for everybody to, you know, if you're gonna do boxing, do boxing really, really, really well, give it a hundred not 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 uh eighty five percent, not ninety nine percent. You gotta give boxing a hundred and five to a hundred and fifty percent um and just stay true to the game well my fault i don't like to say game when it comes to boxing stay true to the sport that's it
0: my friend was asking do you watch any uh, mixed martial arts or UFC fights he's just curious if you do
1: um no yeah you probably can tell that no i don't i don't i'm not it's just i am i always said i'm crazy because why First of all, I'm crazy, excuse my expression, I'm crazy as hell to get hit with some eight-ounce gloves outside my head. Why would I want to get hit upside my head with some four-ounce gloves? Get knee in my jaw. or Get hit <laughs> right. upside my head with a foot. Because already I'm crazy to be a boxer, so no, nah, I wouldn't want to be no, no uh, MMA fighter or whatever. But do you watch any of it? No, nah, I don't
0: watch any of it. Hmm. Well there should you go. I? <laughs> he was I? asking here in the in the comments if you did.
1: Okay, yeah. but I'm asking you, should I?
0: No, I. you know, I don't know. We watch a lot of it. I guess you know, my okay. dad I used to watch like the old Kung Fu movies. You know, right. like you see a Wu Tang clan talking about and stuff like I used to watch that stuff when I was young, like guys flying around in the air and doing all sorts of weird stuff, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: the overdub movies, you know, and uh, I
1: Definitely. used to watch
0: that a lot. So when the when those first UFCs came out and you had guys like these style versus style, I found it really interesting. I was still watching boxing, obviously, you know, I liked all, all right. forms of combat, but yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know. I don't know if you find
0: it interesting or not. Everyone's got, like I said before, everyone's got kind of their preferences, you know.
1: Right. I don't, I. I like I said, it's bad enough that I'm crazy to get hit with uh, some eight ounce gloves inside my head because Could I couldn't imagine myself trying to slip an elbow or slip a kick or block a kick or block a knee and then on top of that, I don't know what my jar will feel like getting hit with some four ounce. Well, not even four ounce. Getting hit with knuckles. It's bad enough I gotta get hit with eight ounce gloves on the head. I mean, on the chin, and I gotta make sure I can take that. So, for me to get hit with some four ounce gloves, and you talking about five minutes a round, and you talking about how many rounds?
0: Uh, usually three to
1: five. <sighs> That's a lot. It's to the point now in Philly, we doing four minute rounds in the gym with 30 second break. I ain't I ain't doing it, but the fighting down days are so I'm trying to figure out how you get accustomed to that. You know, so you know. What well, you think I really, about You know, I
0: really appreciate you taking time to do this. I could talk to
1: you forever, but I don't wanna
0: <laughs> take up all your
1: time, you know. No, I'm I'm good. I'm 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 relaxing, I'm okay. I don't mind talking to you. I don't I don't do a lot of talking. So I'm yeah. good. You know,
0: I did want to ask you what was it like fighting Julio Cesar Chavez? I mean
1: Um You know, uh first of all, <laughs> like I said, at the end of the day I think I'm one of the Luckiest guys in the world to be able to talk to you, be able to still count money, be able to still hold conversations with you and anybody in the world. Um, because you know as well as I do, a lot of fighters don't turn out to be no. A lot of fighters don't turn out to have all their faculties, as my dad would say. Um, I think I was blessed, so I'm good in that in that behalf. As far as Julio Cesar Chavez, um, it was just amazing to be in the ring with a guy, a legend. I mean, when I fought Julio Cesar Chavez, it was crazy. I think he was like 107 with like three losses, with like 89 knockouts. Can you imagine you across the ring from a legend like that, that you actually go up and fight a guy like that? Um, As I looked at the tape And I don't think I only looked at the tape Maybe twice It was amazing Being in there with him Um, I think I was more Shell shocked On being in the ring with him Than actually knowing that I was in a fight With him because I was Told on many occasions I also was told in my corner Because I had my dad with me That I was just giving him too much uh, respect. Um, I didn't uh, go in there with the attitude on, like, you know, he's he's a normal guy like me, you know, going in there and fight like you know how to fight and do the things you know how to do. I didn't do because I've seen in some, some uh, rounds in the fight, as they say, I fought in spurts, and if I would have fought and spurs more like I fought when I was younger, I think the fight would have been different. But at the end of the day, I got the respect from him that I deserve, and I think that's what it was all about because, you know, they told him, and I was also told that he was going, even though he was older and I was older, he was a lot older than me, but I was told that he was going to mop me up with the ring ain't nobody knocking me out, so I wasn't even worried about that, but it was just on the a, on a simple fact that I didn't give out give my all like I should have. Um, he still could punch, even though he was an older guy. He still could punch, and he still had that uh, antagonist style where he didn't care. He didn't care about getting hit. He was just worried about landing, and I didn't give him too many opportunities to land, but You know, it was a great fight.
0: So you think the mental part of it, you were just kind of off because of who you were fighting.
1: Yeah. And then my camp didn't really go too well because I was in camp with, uh, I went to Don Turner's camp and I got into a fight. I mean, well, not really a fight, but I got into, it was, uh, we was in North Carolina. Um. And I think the camp had like a four to five bedroom apartment. And there was some other guys in there. It was up and young coming fighters. And me and one of the guys had a big uh uh discussion, uh in the in the camp. And um it was like we was like our first or second day there, but it was like two days before we was gonna spar. And being a and guy got into it real bad. They had to separate us, and it was crazy. We was the first two to box. And um, we went in there, and we, we started we sparring. And I was actually, honestly, I was beating the brakes off this kid. I mean, he was from some some little country overseas or something, but he was one of their best. I mean, I was beating the hell out of this kid. I was beating him so bad that um, I started playing with him. Started smiling at him and taunting him and stuff. And I'll never forget, I went back to the corner and my dad got mad at me. My dad was like, yo, stop playing. Just go out there and do what you know how to do. Stop teaching this guy and making faces and all that. Just go out there and box and do what you do and let's go. Well, of course, I didn't listen. I went out there again, started taunting and all that. And he hit me with a right hand and my mouth was open. And it split the bottom of my uh. My gums. And it was one of two things was going to happen. One, I was going to get sent home. Or two, I was going to be in camp for the next, I think, three and a half weeks. Because they told me my gum would heal. Well, my chin, because I had a split right here. They told me it would heal. But I couldn't box. And I was going to go right into the Chavez fight. Well, I was older. And I was pretty much on the, I was already, I ain't going to say on the downside. I was at the bottom. And my thing was, do I want to go out here and fight this Mexican, this national hero? Or do I want to go home and just call it quits? Well, like I said, you know, I'm from Philly. I decided to go ahead and do the three weeks of training, get down and wait, which I did. But the thing of it was, I didn't have no boxing, and I went right into the Chavez fight. And you can see that I was kind of uh, flat to some degree in that fight. Um, that was because of the, the boxing. I didn't box for three weeks, and I went to the fight. Um, I wasn't nervous because I felt as though that I still had the tools and the ability to do the things I needed to do. I looked at it at one. Chavez was a lot older. Two, the only way he was really going to connect on me is if I sat in front of him. Well, you know, your eyes can play tricks on you as well as your feet. And even though I did a lot of uh, running, I did a lot of cardio, I did a lot of bag work, that stuff didn't help because even though I know Chavez was older, he seemed a lot quicker. Because I I didn't get no boxing. So the things that he was throwing at me, I got out the way of some of them, but I didn't get out the way of all of them. I put up a good fight, but if I was able to just turn it up a little more, I think I would have made the fight very more interesting. But at that time, me being older, my mind played tricks on me. I thought that I would probably die in the fight if I tried to turn it up. If I tried to be the old Ivan Robinson, it wasn't going to happen. I was just going to die out. Uh... All kinds of things was gonna happen. So, you know, but me being who I was, I still had that, that fighter instinct in me. So at times in certain rounds, certain certain positions or certain moves I made it the old Ivan Robinson came back for a hot minute, you know. Um I think in the fourth round, um I watched a lot of uh Chavez tapes and one of the fights that I watched mostly was the Meldrick Taylor fight. And what kind of uh, made me annoying was that I had got a lot of emails, a lot of fan mail, and a lot of people calling me talking about Ivan. who I didn't get this one for Meldrick. Meldrick and Chavez fought down there a century ago. Why am I thinking about Meldrick fighting? Nah, I'm cool. I'm thinking about Ivan and, and Chavez, not Meldrick. So, you know, um, like I said, we watched the Chavez fight. And one thing that I noticed about uh, Chavez was that um, he had a great left hook. And he would double from the body to the head. And one thing that I was noticing, of my dad also, one thing that me and my dad did, we watched a lot of tapes. Of Chavez, <clears throat> we watched a lot of tapes of myself in my younger days and maybe like two or three fights before that. And one thing that I did notice, my dad, I mean, he kept telling me every day, all day, Don't pull out with this guy and drop your hand because he has a sneaky left hook and a right hand. You know. I didn't know I was doing it. I guess Chavez was like, look, I'm going to let this dummy keep doing it. Just let him keep doing it, let him keep doing it, let him keep doing it. And then finally, I guess he decided, you know what? This kid doing it so much, let me catch him. And he caught me, and I was off balance, and I went down. But it wasn't nothing that was too devastating on me to worry about because I popped right back up. And I popped right back up, and, you know, we went at it again for, I think, another four and a half, five rounds. Um, Like I said, if I would have stepped on the gas, I think I would have made the fight a lot more easier than what I did. But, hey, like I said, I was glad to be in there with one of the legends. But one thing I didn't like was that when we was leaving out, everybody was throwing cans and stuff at us. They had to shill us leaving out of that place. Yeah, you
0: know, and now Canelo kind of has some of that similar aura to Chavez, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Canelo's a great fighter, man. I mean, right now, I mean, I guess you would say he's a piece of boxing. He's doing he all is, the right I thing.
0: think more than Canelo, personally, you know, just because, like I said, he's a big risk taker, you know, and, right, so you know, he's going to be exciting when he
1: fights. All right, so now I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had Canelo and uh, Tank fighting on the same card, who would you go for? I mean, who would you put your money on?
0: If they're fighting each
1: other? No, hell no. I mean, they fight (laughs) in two different fights. Yeah. Who would you put your money on, and why? And Are you looking for a knockout, or are you just looking for a win? And who's more exciting?
0: To me, Tank is more exciting. But I uh, okay. put money on Canelo because he's he's not gonna, you know. Tank hasn't made the mistake that's got him knocked out yet, you know. Huh? Well, you you know what Tank I
1: mean. I Canelo thinking.
0: is more, maybe a little more uh, defensively oh. responsible. Okay. What do you think? But ain't
1: that's what ain't this fight? I mean, I fight it. But ain't that what the, the the fans want to see? They want to see a guy who takes.
0: Oh yeah. No doubt about well,
1: it. Well, yeah. I'm with you. I would put my money on Canelo. Um, I'm not I'm not uh, interested in anybody uh, taking chances. I mean, you have to sometimes in fights. But, yeah, Tanks takes too many chances. But he takes chances because he know he can take them. Ain't nobody... What threat has he what threat of a fighter that he's fought where he ain't had to worry about taking a chance or he thought about taking a chance? Regardless on what you do or how you do it, I don't care. Any fighter knows the reward of taking a risk. You're not gonna take a risk if you don't have to. Um, like for instance, like with me in the Getty fight, I took many a risk, but yeah. I knew the risk was going to be rewarding for myself because I was in the best shape. I actually can say that I actually, you know, like when you're in school, you know, it's just one kid in school that is just terrorized the whole school or the whole class, but you know that it's something that you can do to overcome him and be, that's how it was with me with the Gaddy fight. I knew taking a risk with him, I had to take a risk with him. But the thing of it is, I didn't mind because I was in such great shape. I knew my defense was great. As long as I didn't get kept caught with a shot that was going to knock me into tomorrow, I was good. But <laughs> I took that chance in the tough round, and it just definitely almost put me in, in, in a situation. But, you know, that's what happened. Um, hey, man. To this day, I thank Arturo because if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have as many people talking to me or giving me the credit that was needed to be given to me. And that's the way I think that that's happening nowadays. Fighters are not willing to take the opportunity. And that's why I say I love Gaddy so much because at any given time, Gaddy didn't care he felt though, even though me and you may think that he has no chance, you couldn't tell him that. You couldn't tell Getty he didn't have a chance. And nigga like what? What you mean? Like when I told him with the Mayweather jump, he like what? I got a chance. And then you know what? It was to the point he had me thinking too. Like hey, hey, if he landed shot, <laughs> what may happen? Yeah, you know. Do you
0: remember? Where you were when you heard he passed
1: oh mad as hell because um Gaddy was a wild dude, Gaddy was like, like I said, he was he was the fighter that put it all on the line, no matter what. He you know you have fighters nowadays say, "Oh man, I'll die in that ring nah that 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 ain't happening, but when Getty said it, you believe it. Gaddy would die in that ring first before anything I was I mean I'm a Philly fighter. I don't back down from nobody. But honestly, saying I'm going to put my life on the line, uh, I don't know, homie. That's kind of that's some kind of serious stuff there. You know, but Getty was that dude. So I knew to a fact that when they said he had passed, when I found out he passed, I was hurt. It hit me. Boom. But now I'm sitting there thinking, like, why did he die? What was the reason? That he died. Excuse me. When I found out that. How he died. And the reason he died. um, We wasn't the best of friends, but we were friends. Um, I knew Gaddy liked to party. I knew Gaddy liked to drink. I uh, you know I'm I'm not I'm not one of the guys that listen to tabloids and all that. I hear it, but I actually gotta know for a fact. Like if you say Joe Blow over here take dope or he get high off of coke or whatever, that's what you telling me. But I actually need to know that's what he does. And you know everybody always say boxers are are brutal. Boxers are uh, rough. Um, they they give they label some fighters as woman beaters. Um, they say fighters take drugs, you know all that, and some do, some don't. You know, with me coming up, I I'm from the city of Philly, and our streets are rough, and a lot of our great fighters in the city of Philadelphia, yeah, a lot of them use drugs, a lot of them got high stuff like that, but. You know, I had to actually know that that's what they did. So when I found out Gaddy died, it was like, how did this man die? I mean, I heard he he he, he snorted and this that another, but that was my buddy. I mean, we was cool. I know Gaddy drunk real heavy, and I know when he drunk, he was like that 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 uh hard guy. He did things. He you know, he, he he even started fighting to some point. He even knocked a couple guys out, stuff like that. But for him to be the way they say he was with his wife, no. Nah. For them to say his wife killed him, I still say to this day she killed him. I don't understand why, for what reason, regardless on what things he did in the past or how he was, that man didn't deserve that. You know what I'm saying? That man didn't deserve that at all. He was a great dude. He would give you his shirt off his back. He talked to everyone. You know what I'm saying? Of course I didn't I didn't really much like his style because he took punches. But he was entertaining. He was very entertaining. And to be honest with you, regardless on how he lost, <laughs> you put your money on him. He was one of those guys that you will for sure put your money on. And I mean, when I fought him the first time um, and I think we fought at the convention center. Yeah, the first fight was at the the convention center. Gaddy and our fight was so enormous where, I mean, we had so many people and I know a lot of people weren't there for me. I know they was there for him, but to be in that magnitude with that gentleman, with that guy, with with that brother of mine that I fought and I beat, just to be in that magnitude that he bought in that in that surroundings just that one night. It was crazy. I mean, I seen people that I seen on T V that I didn't actually think that I would actually be in the in the um in uh presence with like for instance back then at when me and Gaddy fought I think Philly had one of the hottest teams in the city. I went to school with Aaron McKee and me and Aaron McKee was friends since high school. Um and Aaron McKee and Alan Iverson was the best of friends. Alan Iverson came to my fight. I don't know Alan Iverson from a can of spray paint but him and Aaron McKee was best of friends. And Aaron McKee bought Allen Iverson to my fight in Atlanta City and Aaron used to come to all my fights in Philly I think he came to the fight when I fought Philip Holiday me and Aaron was like this he brought A.I. to the fight uh at that time Jason Williams was the hottest uh uh center in the league and he was from Jersey he came to see Gaddy, but me and him in between with each other me and him became good friends you know um A lot of the the, the, the Italian guys that came to see Gaddy, you know, even though they was mad because I beat Gaddy, but after the fight, me and Gaddy had drinks together. We gambled together. I met these guys and then we turned around. Four hours after that, I'm sitting at my, my bedroom table in my bedroom, getting ready to sign another fight to fight Arturo again. So, you know, the magnitude that Gaddy had was great, man, but For him to go out the way he went, he shouldn't have never went out that way. You know, people that know him closer than I knew him didn't understand why he got married to that young lady. Or maybe, of course, because of the baby. You know, and it's crazy. I was just on Instagram the other day. Um, I know you know boxing pretty well. Uh, You remember heavyweight uh, Fresno Oquino from Florida? He trains Arturo Gatti's son. And I think Otero Gaddy's son is about ten or eleven, and he fight just like Otero. And it was crazy. Like two years ago, I got a I got a a a DM from a from a kid named Gaddy, and I'm sitting there saying to myself, like, what is this? And he was like, um, I like I like uh, your style. I like how you fight, and he's like, most of all, I like the performance that you put on with my dad. I'm sitting there looking at this like. What's going on? And he like, I know you don't know who I am, but I'm Toro Gatti's son. I'm like, huh? He like, yeah, I'm Toro Gatti's son. And I know you and my dad were good friends. Um, I just wanted to reach out to you and tell you that I'm boxing. It was crazy. I'm sitting there saying to myself, like, is this a ghost? And now, a week or two ago, I get another inbox on Fresno, on Fresno. Or Quino's, uh Facebook, I mean Instagram page, because me and her friend, I see him training this kid. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and he put it in the comments. He's like, "This is Arturo Gaddy's son." I'm like, "Wow!" So you know, maybe this is a reincarnation of Arturo.
0: It's a, it's almost like you're a Creed, you know, like uh, when
1: uh,
0: Rocky Balboa's training uh, Apollo Creed's son. Uh, yeah, you know,
1: well, you I won't be the one. I won't talent. be the one training Arturo. Huh? I won't be training on Junior.
0: Oh, I know, but you guys are attached forever, you know, and
1: his yeah, family that,
0: attached to you to some degree, you know.
1: Yeah, true. That's true.
0: So it don't surprise me that he reached out to you. It's it's kind of almost the same thing, you know. Rocky yeah, and Apollo Creed had these great fights, and his son was drawn to Rocky, you
1: know. That's true. You know what? Now I never even because I'm, I'm I mean. When you get something like that, that's kind of like mind blowing. But at the same time, you're sitting there thinking like, no, nah, this, 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 this can't be true. You know, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not even going to go back on Fresh's Instagram page and look at it again. If it happens again, then I may decide to really reach out and, and, and see what's going on. But right now, I'm just, you know, I'm mind blowing. I'm going to just let it rise, see what happens. But I know I'll be shocked when he comes on TV and I
0: see him. Yeah, it probably will happen again. I'd I'd be surprised it didn't, you know.
1: Because when you lose well, your father, you know. Well, like, when it happened, when it happened, you'd be the first person I call. You know, like
0: when I lost my father a few years ago, and you get close with. people that were close to your father. You right. know, cause you want that connection that you lost. You know, you want your right. father. And that's probably why they reached out to you.
1: You know? But you know what, I wouldn't I mean what what what, what can I say? Yeah. I wouldn't even know what to say.
0: Oh, same thing Just telling me, you know, that you respected him and you guys are good friends and all that, you know. You had two wars yeah, exactly. with this guy, you know. Well the second one yeah. wasn't much of war, you you won that yeah. one more easy. But you had two great fights with this guy and your fights our Arturo had a lot of exciting fights, but I think yours was the one that's most remembered that he had. The first one especially. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No doubt about it. You know, and uh Yeah, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. You know, it's awesome to talk to you. I think you should Say do stuff on Instagram, give your opinion on some of these fights or something. Say that again? I think you should do some stuff on Instagram like some of these videos like Kelly Pavlik does, where he talks about some wow. of the fights he's seen or, you know, takes some questions.
1: Uh, I might I might be, might be right. It might be something I'm thinking about doing.
0: Yeah, maybe just like some short video talk about a fight you saw or whatever.
1: Okay.
0: Pavlik does that a lot. Do he? Yeah, he does. He just, he, all the time.
1: Was just, he was just inducted into the uh, New Jersey Box Hall of Fame with me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you could, like I said, I love talking to people from back then when I was growing up. Right. I I think it's important to keep these people around and also to get their insights. Right. You know, it's valuable. It's invaluable, you know, so. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, like I said. uh,
1: No problem. Anytime you want, all you got to do is just call me.
0: Yeah, I feel really lucky to have this opportunity, so.
1: Yeah, I appreciate appreciate the
0: time. I know taking up a lot of your time, but
1: no. Any other
0: time you want to talk to me, I'd be super happy to do it. Yeah.
1: Okay, I got you. All
0: right. Well, I appreciate it, Ivan, and uh, I'll get all this stuff sent out to you.
1: Okay. No problem. Thanks. All right. Take care. It was great talking. All right, buddy. you. You too. Bye.
0: Right, so if you want to connect with Ivan or follow what he's doing with his current gym and some of his current boxers, you can follow him on Instagram at Mighty Robinson One. And if you want to follow me again, mine is a the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore Show. And uh, I would also like it if you subscribe to my YouTube, which is a Todd Atkins Show. And uh, as always, I'll be bringing more episodes. I have a. tons of episodes i need to upload here so uh you know you'll be seeing a lot more stuff come through and uh, i'll be uploading you know several several episodes a week easily and as always uh i appreciate the support and take care